Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. Well, we don't like to date stamp our podcast, but we're going to do it. Today is Friday, March the 27th, 2020. And as you know, we are in the midst of the battle against COVID-19. Now, as the boss, you are on the front lines of this battle. And you say, no, I'm not. That's the healthcare people. Oh, no, because you have a workforce right now that is being impacted by this psychologically. We wanted on this episode to bring back an old friend. So many of you remember Dr. David Clayman. He talked to us about deviant employee behavior last year. Well, David and I always stay in touch. And so when this began to happen, I noticed that David had received this awesome award, which he'll tell us about. And I thought, you know what? Let's get David back on the show. I wanted him to talk to us today about the psychological tools we can use to fight this battle. Most of you are not healthcare practitioners, and if you are, you're probably on the front lines. But those of us who are not need to be able to fight this battle with the mind and the heart. The science is being taken care of by the scientist. David's going to give us actionable strategies on how to lead our workforce that may now be working virtually. More importantly, things you can do as the boss to help people get through this time and keep your team intact. Because there will be a time that we look back on this and say, man, it sucked, but it's over. We've moved on. We want you to be ready for when that day comes. Again, practical tools and tips from David. You're going to love it. Let's quit talking about him. Why don't we just talk to him? You know what to do. Buckle up. It's time to roll. Welcome to the Boss Builder Podcast. Dr. David Clayman, welcome back to the show. Great to hear from you. Missed you. Yeah. yeah, well, I missed you too, David. I mean, you are a fun guy to be around, even though I've only, I think, in person met you once. But um, obviously, I see your stuff posted. And where I just saw you recently is that you received a major award, didn't you? I received a notable piece of recognition. Yes, I did. Well, tell us about that. Well, our, our statewide business magazine has started a thing called the Healthcare Hall of Fame, and they inducted 10 of us into this uh, into the Healthcare Hall of Fame uh, a month or so ago, and I was the only mental health professional recognized, which was um, a shock and a joy, and now a sense of responsibility um, that I've got to, as, as an older person, one of the high-risk people in the COVID virus, I was about ready to look at ways to segue out and uh, leave my mark. And now I've decided to redefine and start trying some other things. And before I leave to have an impact on things that I think are important. Well, you obviously left your mark, but in the act of leaving the mark now, I guess everybody realized, Hey, David's got more in the tank. Let's see what else he can do. Right. And actually David was, (laughs) David learned he's got more. (laughs) And and this is kind of a, a crazy segue, but as a, as a clinical and medical psychologist, I've spent most, I spent a good part of my early career dealing with the psychological aspects of physical disease. And um, it's, my, it's, it's actually my true love as, as a clinician. And one of the things that was really odd, because as a psychologist, we're supposed to be self-reflective, I was sitting and they were talking about um, risk factors and everything else. And the older people, like in certain places, if you're 80, you don't even get on the list. If you're 70, they question it. And if you're 60, maybe. 
well, I'm 72. I've got cardiac things. I've got diabetes. And I don't want to be one of those people that they don't think is still relevant. So I'm, I'm reinventing just to stay alive. Well, that's good. I guess your alternative is you'd go live up in the mountains in a cabin and just broadcast remote, right? Well, and if you take a look at West Virginia, where I'm located, and the dispersion of the, the virus thus far, there's a lot of rural areas that haven't seen anything or at least haven't reported it. You know, I'm kind of curious about that because when I was sort of falling, and my wife has got this app that my son's girlfriend gave her, and so it keeps real-time tracking of numbers. And so every hour on the hour, she gives me a report of how many people are infected. But West Virginia was the last state that did not have an infection, and then they came in with one. So how do you explain it? I think you guys are still pretty, you might be the, the lowest number in the country still. I don't know. But uh, why is that, David? Well, I, we have no idea. We went up fifty-nine. We went up twenty-one yesterday. That, okay. We went from one to seventy, I think, now in, in in a week. And for a small state, that's incredible. So we got a couple things. One is we're a, a very rural state, and a lot of and so that that may prevent people from being exposed. Uh, secondly, is we're also a very um, cautious state and a lot of people may not want to go in and be tested so we don't know we, we were behind on the testing curve so we're we're taking a look but charleston where i am we're the capital city and we're seeing an increase in our local um spread really quickly uh the epicenter for part of it is up in morgantown which is where the university is we don't know yet and people are guessing and are, are i'm just really impressed by the the people that are not totally government oriented who are trying to step in. We've got a new director uh, from the university who's going to be taking care of us. Hopefully our local um, Kanawha Charleston health department is really working hard. Um, and, you know, we, but well, we got the same challenges everywhere else in the country does um, that. I think part of the, what you and I were going to, you know, we've talked about is, you know, how this stuff has impacted us and, good, bad, and indifferent. I don't think we got a lot of good yet, although I think I can squeeze a little good out of things today. Okay. Well, if it's a little good from you, then I trust it. From anybody else, I think it's a lot of garbage. But yeah. since you are actually known now as an international man of wisdom, David, <laughs> man, we are we are very fortunate to have I'm you. Only it's only national. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, only national. All right. Well, then we're going to make this podcast short. I was hoping for the international Ooh. man of wisdom. So, See, we can't find him someplace, right? Yeah. Well, you know, David, we had you on Boss Builder Podcast last year. And that podcast, so we're, if you haven't guessed this, I'm going to broadcast this to both of our podcasts. But I had you talking about how to handle different workplace behaviors. You know, how do I spot somebody that may have some trouble? And so if you're listening to this, you could go back to the early episode. Today is different, though. We do now have something that is impacting all of us directly. And this is a worldwide thing. And so I'm not as interested today on the forensic side of your expertise, but more on the clinical side of the expertise. If you are listening to this today, there's a very good chance, unless you stumble on it on LinkedIn, that you are either a manager, a director, an executive, or on the other hand, you are an HR professional. For the bosses out there, people are going to look to you for answers. The HR people, you've been begging and pleading for a seat at the table. I'm guessing most of you have been dragged to the table now by your fingernails stuck in the carpet 
And now you've got to have some answers. And that's why I really wanted you to be here today, David, to help us through this. So this is something that I don't think anybody who is alive today has ever experienced anywhere. This is a pandemic. And this is unique. Um, why would this be something that would really rattle us? Well, uh, this is every single talking head has has picked up, I guess, the same articles that all of us use because none of us really knew. That's the first thing. This is so novel. Um, it's not like the flu has been. It's just it's 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 an it's an amazing experience to watch everyone in the world suffering. My, my my wife and I were lucky enough to be able to go on a trip to Italy a couple of years ago, and we're seeing um, videos of the places in Florence where we, where we were, where their people were, you know, toe to toe. And there's no one in the squares. There's no one in the piazzas. There's no one anywhere. We see it in well-developed countries and poorly developed countries. And, you know, we're getting the slant from our, our news media, but we know the har- the hardship going on in Spain and in Italy and, you know, the United States is used to being the one that reaches out to try to help people. And we're just one of the rest of the group. We're now the largest number of, of identified cases in the world, in our country. And we are supposed to be the, the kings of science and everything else. And we're struggling to catch up. And this is a really unusual place for us because we can't make any predictions at this point. Everything's a guesswork. And um, I think it's had unbelievable physical obviously, social, obviously, and obviously economic impacts that we have never seen before, ever. We've never been shut down. I mean, for hurricanes, we don't have an international shutdown. For everything else that I've seen in my, my life, we've never had this happen, and we're going to have to be very creative to deal with it. And I think in business, this becomes the bosses, the managers, and, and particularly right now, HR, because they're the folks that are supposed to be up on the, uh, the rules and regulations and what's the right thing to do. And they should be whispering in their boss's ears right now. And because things are changing so much every day, we have to rely on a couple things that we do know. And that's the whole prevention and the stuff that we do know about distance, social distancing and hand washing and sheltering, staying home and being aware and not being jerky about the whole thing. Um, I have a, a comment on people being jerky in a minute, but that's. Yeah. I want to hear that because, well, you know, you're right, David. I mean, I heard the other day that they're asking construction companies to donate their N95 masks to hospitals. I mean, that is unprecedented. And I guess I think back a little bit, you know, so I think we knew farewell, you know, fair warning for Pearl Harbor. The Japanese were planning something and yet we get caught with our pants down. We have a lot of chatter that there's going to be a terrorist attack. In fact, it would happen at the same place what, 10, 12 years before, and yet we got caught with our pants down. We had indicators the economy was not going well in 2008, and yet we got caught standing still. And here we go again. I mean, just two months ago, David, I was sitting on a Southwest plane wondering how in the world did they cram this many friggin' people into a plane? And here today, if your plane's even flying, you got half the cabin to yourself. So how do you explain it from a psychological perspective that we never seem to be ready for something like this? Well, you know, that's an interesting, I, I have just been amazed when I hear Bill Gates talking about his foundation predicting a pandemic, that they've been trying to, to get the world to listen that this could happen. This is mm-hmm. not something new that, that we have the CDC 
had one of their uh, study groups shut down, what, two years ago, because it didn't seem to be relevant. I mean, we, 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 we got a kind of an arrogance and a complacence that, you know, no war has ever touched our borders except for the 9-11 thing. And, you know, we've been pretty protected. And, and most of the time we're able to overcome disasters or at least cover up the, the long-term problems with it from the floods and everything else. But we're a pretty resilient world, and, and, and I'm hoping, I'm going to jump to something I thought I'd say as a close, but I'm hoping that the best of America comes through and that we, we take a look at our behavior and we, we stop buying guns because we think we're going to have to protect each other, you know, protect ourselves, and we stop buying thousands of things of toilet paper, which means others won't have it, or sanitary wipes, or, and we're not seeing that totally yet. Kroger, where I am, is still devoid of a lot of the necessities I'd like to see. And there are people lining up at six o'clock in the morning, still stock, stockpiling. And this is this is the most unusual. I don't know how it is for you, because we're still kind of stuck in the snow belt a little bit, even though we're kind of, kind of south. Mm-hmm. But whenever there's a warning that we're going to have a terrible snowstorm, of course, all the shelves are cleared, right? right. Everybody shows up buys enough bread that will go stale. Well, I've never seen this before, where, where every single day, there's nothing left on the shelves. And and there are theories, which I think I accept, is that we are a country of a couple things. Um, one is we we loved um, we love being in control of our lives. And you know, we like being individualistic and we like taking care of ourselves. We're generous and we reach out in times of stress, but when when everybody's stressed, I think there's a turning into yourself of, you know, I've got to take care of me and the people that are close to me. I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But being out of control, this is something we can't see, we can't touch, feel, um, smell. We don't even know if the thing's around. I, I mean, you could walk outside and there could be a big cloud of COVID-19 sitting in the front door. You wouldn't know. So we're out of control. We're seeking control. And all the theorists are talking about the, the uh, hoarding of toilet paper and other, in quotes, necessities. Um, comes from the desire of each individual to find a way to assert control over his or her life in a in a way that they can define. And I guess because everybody goes to the bathroom, maybe uh, one person um, proffered that as as a um, a reason why the toilet paper is disappearing. We don't want to be caught literally with our pants down. So people are trying to find a way to make sense. They're trying to assert control and. Um, Every time we take a turn to think that things are going to get better, the number of cases goes up. Um, it's a very weird kind of time. And I don't know. I, I, have you had a friend yet who's been diagnosed? No. I mean, I know nobody personally. Um, really? And I, maybe that would really change the equation if I said, oh, my God. You know, I mean, I haven't. My mother's 84. My mother and father-in-law are 70s and 80s and high risk. And they stay isolated, but I don't, I don't know. Do you think David, it would change if you had a family member or, or conversely? So we just find out today that the prime minister of the UK has it. Prince Charles has it. Um, the coach of the saints, what's his name? Sean Payton has it. Does it, well, how does it impact us when we have either a personal experience or a figure that we think we know has it? How does that impact us? Well, I think that the, especially with our, strange obsession with the royal family from England. Um, it, it, it is that it, I mean, 
it says that anybody can get it. It's not a poor person's thing. It's not just those of us that are, that are over 70. It's not, it's universal. It shows that. It shows that no matter how rich or poor you are, I mean, Tom Hanks has been exposed and has it. I think we got a couple other world famous people. Um, I think that that allows us to have some connection because we have these odd emotional attachments to these famous people. I, I can't explain that part. Um, if I see one more Meghan Markle William article, I think I will scream. That'd be yeah. worth being isolated for 14 days. Yeah, but if you just exactly. turn on the news, that's all you're going to hear. Uh, but well, but maybe I, maybe that's it. I mean, we think it's something that somebody else gets until like you, you brought one. I forgot Tom Hanks. This is Woody on Toy Story. This is Forrest Gump. And suddenly he's got it. So, yeah. Why not me then? Just some fat guy that runs a business here in Dixon, Tennessee. Why not me then? Right? Yeah, that. And, and, and then when you see all these people that we think have the best lives possible because they're, you know, they're living. In, I, I was watching another one of the stupid television shows about people who have houses, you know, with nine bedrooms and they're $13 million. And guess what? <laughs> They're, they're, they have to stay in their small 10,000 square foot house with the COVID virus for 14 days. And of course, of course they're bored and they're suffering. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think that this is, this is unusual. It, it, is, it is something that we don't see. I have a 95-year-old mother-in-law who my, my wife is terribly worried because we have care providers who come in from the outside. Um, she is compromised in a whole bunch of different ways health-wise. We're worried about her. And that, now that's real. And my wife looks at me, my friends, uh, I don't know how it is in Tennessee, but our governor allowed us to continue to play golf. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and we have, we have rules. You can't, you can't, you have to keep the pin in the cup. You have to ride one person to cart. You have to maintain your stuff, but you're outside and, and golf is set up that you're not going to be high-fiving and doing all that mm -hmm. stuff. So I was going to play last week, and my wife looked at me and said, didn't you hear what they said again? You have all the risk factors. And I, <laughs> I said, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I started thinking about it. I said, oh, my, you know, I, maybe I shouldn't go. So I didn't. I'm, I'm trying to Well, I'll tell you what. It's a damn shame that the national man of wisdom can't get out and play golf. Well, maybe tomorrow. Who knows? But we've got to keep you protected. Yeah, you, but I, you give me more value than Prince Charles, David. Yeah, but I think the, the, the other things about this that are important. One is it, it's very um, Bill Gates was talking about how how fast it spreads and how bad how bad you get sick, and this has got both. Um, there are a couple other things that have had smallpox did, and other there have been other pandemics that have done that. But it it we, we've got to realize that that this is something that we we don't we've never seen New York City streets done. Now, we have jerky people, by the way. If, if I could, I'm going to get in trouble for this. You go ahead. This, I'm not censored here, so you just let it out. Yep. If we could take TikTok off the internet with these idiot kids who went to spring break and were indignant until they got slapped by someone, I think, about being in Florida and, oh, my God, I just turned 21 and I didn't want to, I, I have my right and, Bring on coronavirus. I can do it. And now they have they have corona parties where people are going to kind of challenge it. And my favorite one is the corona challenges where people are going and licking, licking. Oh, yeah. Payphones and stuff in public thinking they're not going to get sick. I think I saw a toilet seat somebody was licking. Yeah. What lunacy. 
But so, well, let me, and then there was, I just heard this yesterday. Some lady went to a grocery store and coughed on everything. There was, she had something wrong with her anyhow, but now they had to throw away $35,000 worth of produce and meat, which, you know, that's a big deal now. So let's put on your, I don't know if forensic psychology fits here. What's wrong with people like that? What's the clinical explanation? You know, if I, you know, I'd really be an internationally famous person if I could give you one. Mm-hmm. Just the oddities of human beings. Kids are coughing on vegetables. Right. Um, nobody's thinking. It, it, you know, the thought that I have, especially with some of the people that that are doing these things purposefully, it's almost flaunting the the the, the seriousness of the disease. They, they, it's almost like okay, COVID virus. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna spit on, spit in your face and. They don't think about the impact because everybody, there's, there's denial. We got two large groups of people that I worry about in this world. And this is the wor- the group that's in denial or is odd in the, in the way they challenge things because then they're, they're showing that, in quotes, they're not afraid. And that's an odd group of people. And, and a matter of fact, it was interesting. Before all this started, seniors, one of the groups that were um, actually not taking it very seriously. I mm-hmm. believe that. Wow. Yeah. Um, 60, in the beginning, 25% of people over 65 said they weren't very knowledgeable. 13% talked to their medical professionals, and most of them didn't care. They didn't think it was that serious. So, no, I think that's changing. Um, they, don't, they didn't think they were at risk for dying, and they, don't, they actually believed that they weren't likely to catch it at all. This is, this is the most vulnerable group. Well, you know, it's interesting. I heard from an elderly person the other day that said, well, I'm going to go to Walmart this Thursday because they said it's open to older people and that it's safe. Yeah. It's and I thought, according to who, right? Just because there's nobody but old people in there, suddenly the virus, you know, it's left at the door. Maybe this is, you know, belief in something that seems to be plausibly positive. Yeah. And, and I'm just going to go. Well, so I, it's interesting that that's the group, isn't it? The older folks. That's one group because they, you know, they're going and they, but it's special. They're saying you can come here. They see the implied message is we're going to open up for sixty and older at seven o'clock or six o'clock an hour early, and you can get in here. So you're special. You're special, and that being special means it it it, it kind of goes to um, you're immune. If there's a covert message in that, so we got that. But we got a couple other things that I that that just people who have emotional difficulties prior to the onset of this thing. And this has been all over the news, but I think it's very important, especially people with anxiety disorders who tend to worry a lot. Mm -hmm. They're going to worry more. And if they're still working, they're going to be the person in the place that's going to be catastrophizing and screaming about how bad it's going to be and the sky is falling and everything else. And, and, but but they're also very pained. They, they start obsessing about things. They get, they, they get immobilized by their anxiety being at home becomes, um, even though I don't think the two-week isolation thing should be that bad to people, I'll, I'll sleep most of it. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that they're the ones that start worrying about and listening to every bad thing that they can pick up, and they they latch onto the bad, not onto the the hope part where there is a lot there is hope out there. So one of the first pieces of, of advice I always give is stay away from the 24-7 media. Um, stop it. Don't listen to those people. 
pick one reliable thing. I mean, last night, Anderson Cooper had Gupta on, as he always does. He mm -hmm. had um, Bill Gates, and then he had the, a psychiatrist, I think, from New York, who was talking about the same things kind of that I am, but in, in a much more erudite way. Um, but it's, it's, it's maintaining your distance. It's, I mean, it's hand-washing. It's doing all those things. But we were talking about people who get anxious and that we have to be aware of the fact that if they've been anxious before, they're going to bring those those behaviors um, into the situation. And if they don't have social contact, which we're, we're, which we're saying that they shouldn't have as much, they get worse because they can't go see their therapists. They sometimes, because based on their anxiety disorder and everything else, they can't reach, they don't feel comfortable reaching out to other people. So they kind of self-isolate and then perpetuate their, their depression and their anxiety, which makes it bad for their family members who have to be there because everybody now has a new sense of helplessness and a new sense of discomfort because these people are hurting and they really are hurting. So we've got a lot of complications that come from this. Um, Mac, I, I, you know, we're doing telemed now. They've cleared telemed, which you can use your computer or your phone. And it's really critical that, that we take responsibility because we're a society that wants a pill. We want our government to give us a pill. They talk about the vaccination and the cure. We're not a, we're not a, a culture that likes long-term solutions to long-term problems. We like everything to be short-term. We want somebody to tell us that they're going to get better, that we don't have to do anything. And it's incredible. It's unbelievable that we can reduce the possibility of us getting this disease by over 75% by just hand-washing and maintaining distance. Is that not amazing that we have that much control? So, and that you're, you're right. I mean, 75% of prevention we can do through simple things, yet someone who may not even have issues with anxiety will focus on the 25% that is out of our control and believe that. So is it, is it safe to say that having a, like my football coach used to say, getting your mind right, having the right attitude is, is maybe that a first step to try to just now rewire our thinking? Let's start talking about reframing that, that, that we have had these bad things happen. I just heard someone this morning on, on, on a reputable news station. I don't remember which one because I was scanning through my. I didn't know there was any, but if you find one, let me know because I'd like to watch it. I was, I was listening to the idea that, that we are going to get through this. Um, the world is going to be a lot different. We have a lot of things that we're going to do to, with the economics and, and, you know, all the money that's been lost and travel and the, the things that. Are, you know, a lot of the things we, we, we look at that we're losing money are luxuries, Tra you know, cruises and tourism and all this, but they're bulwarks of a lot of economies. So we're going we're gonna to have some changes here, and I, I don't know what that's going to be. And I think for bosses, especially for small business people, I don't know how much of your clientele is, you know, the under 100 employees kind of thing, but, you know, we're the, we're the backbone. I have five, of, I, there's five of us that work here. And with, you know, we are, the, in quotes, the backbone of the economy. And I think there's some things that we can do to start showing that we can take control. And that's one of them for the bosses is to, and for HR, HR one is to, to read as much as you can, see where you see redundancy, that, that it means that we're, we're looking at, um, at a lot of different kinds of laws and, and, and new things that are coming out. Make sure that you read reputable stuff and, 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 and take, have courage to stand up and look at people and say, no, that's not true, so that you're, you're listening to truth. I was just listening to how we're going to handle 
the COVID virus in prisons just before I came on to this. I was listening to another podcast. Mm-hmm. And there are things we can do. So I'm going to give you a couple things other than the ones you always hear. For, for employers and HRs, one is access and distribute, for me, access and distribute credible information to your employees. Do not leave them without input. Uh, I've seen some companies here that are terrible. They're, they're, they don't know what they're doing. They're not telling their employees what to expect, and the employees are getting anxious. Um, clearly define what the resources are. Know how you can help your people if they need to get um, money on unemployment. Facilitate that. Um, let them know. Give them realistic perspective on, on how you're going, to, not when, but how you're going to, to try to bring things back with the caveat that we've never faced this situation before. And be, be transparent and sensitive. One is be sensitive to all the different needs that people have. That they can't go to church now because some places won't even allow co- congregating. Sorry, I thought that was a play, nice play on words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're not allowing congregating, and, and, and they're, they're, they're losing their, their boundaries and their predictable things. Your work anchors a lot of us. I mean, it gives us meaning. You and I were talking about that before we started doing this, is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting 20 people coming in the, in the door for evaluations this week. We have to do that. But, but we also have to be really sensitive to perceptions because if, if, if your boss is still collecting some money, if, if I'm collecting money from my practice and my people are, are, are being laid off and suffering, you, you, you've got to be ready for resentments. You've got to be ready for resentments of who may be kept on wor- at work and who may be discharged and be sensitive to that and not demeaning. Um, I think that's really important for the HR people to, to tell them about what happens with layoffs here. If you're laid off, you're basically fired. You're not fired, but you lose your job mm-hmm. and you come back as a non-seniority person. You got to start all over again. But the, the more obvious you are, I'm on, I'm on the board of, and it's going to sound a little bit foo-foo, but I'm on the board of my country club and the agony that we went through talking about having to lay off three quarters of our employees and what that meant to all of these people with their families and how, what can we do to help? What can other people do to help? This is painful. And if we go to that and start talking about helping others, reaching out to seniors, reaching out to others that may not be as good, we're, we're asserting control, looking at taking time at home now, if you even if you're working home, to do things you might not have done before, cleaning out of closets. Um, you still can go outside. Stop whining about it. Just do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, you play golf, so I'm all- going to try. Yeah. And at work, I think that you you want to be able to um, talk to people about the dollar issues, about why you must maintain social distance, and you wash your hands and not go around and not break that, not go to the lunchroom and sit two feet away and cough. Be sensitive to doing that and being responsible. I think that has to be done. Um, realizing that some people are going to have real mixed feelings about staying at work. Some people would take the layoff, but they can't. Or some people would like to take the layoff but fear they're forced to stay because they'll be looked at askance or they don't want to give up the seniority. But inside their heads, they say, oh, my gosh, I'm exposing myself to being sick. I really don't want to be here, but I have to be here. I think that's something bosses really have to be sensitive to. And HR people and folks like you who teach people how to manage folks is, what are we going to do? And that's going to take some creativity on your part because it's out of the usual realm. Um, 
when you send people home, we have to encourage sick people to go home and they don't want to. But the last couple of things I want to touch on is if people are working at home, is stop making this into the biggest catastrophe that has ever happened on earth. I mean, come on, gang. I mean, you know, you've got your family and everybody's all on board. I saw some lady on, on the news on one of the big stations in her house in Westchester, Vermont, New York, low income level that is, who was whining about having to be in the house that she couldn't go to the gym and that she was getting bored running up and down her driveway. I, I, I almost threw something at the television at that point. Um, and start planning for things. Start being proactive. Think about what you're going to do. Yes, the food. I saw one thing that said you should have 60 to 90 days worth of food. Don't read that one. <laughs> but don't, don't catastrophize. Don't panic. Plan. Plan. Think of things that you can do that are positive. Um, I have a my godson. God, he's just wonderful with his kids. He's been sending me stuff. One of them was watching the two two of his, his two daughters running around the house like maniacs. And, and two days ago, the dog appeared. And one of the things they've done to help deal with being in the house is the two little girls have their dog, and he's playing shoots and ladders or some kids game. I'm too old to remember. Plan. Look at things that you can do and reframe and be positive. And working from home, one is bosses should make sure that they, their, their people have um, access to equipment. Um, some, not everybody has, a, has internet and stuff at home, and you got to figure out what to do there and, and recognize that if you want them to work from home, help them have the right equipment available so they can do their jobs. Give them access to, to managers. And, and access them. Don't just let them sit out there. Have a have a tree, whether it's HR, whether it's management. Have a tree where you check in on each of your employees, not to say, hey, what have you done for work today? But how are you doing? Here's some ideas we've had. In, in doing that, maintain defined goals for them so they know what their actions have to be at home. When you're sitting at home and you're self-defining, a lot of people would, what are you going to be working on so I can, can help you out? Don't make it punitive but talk about what they may be able to do. Communicate with them, both on job-related issues. One of my staff, one of my friends, my neighbor actually, um, has, a, has a meeting every morning at 10 o'clock with the place she works at. She's an attorney. She works for a company that she's the legal advisor. Every morning they have a 10 o'clock meeting. And the first part of the meeting is business because they have there's still stuff's happening, even though the world shut down. But the other part is how you're doing. Is there anything we can do? This is how I handle things. This is what I'm doing. And, and that's really good, except sometimes people don't share your perspective of what to do. So don't expect people to do what you say. Talk more about how you came up with a solution and not what the solution is. And, you know, when I was sitting back thinking about what being shut in the house or not being able to come to the office, these are the kinds of things that I thought of for me. Maybe they, that'd be helpful for you. Don't put it as a defined solution. Um have a kind of social get-togethers with your coworkers. They're the people you spend eight hours a day with. And set up a help and support tree. You know, let people know that there's who you can use to go to the grocery store, uh, who might come and visit, uh, who will start the tree every day, giving themselves purpose and something to do and being connected. Because when I first started out doing these podcasts, or not podcasts, but news shows, I talked about connectivity, which is a basic human need. Um, it doesn't mean that we have to be with each other every day. Um, we want people to take care of themselves, still exercise, still eat well and all that, but they want to stay connected. And we have this thing called the internet. We have, we're not using it today, but we have, you know, the, the, 
video conferencing stuff, you can do that. You can see people. You can relate. You can't touch, which is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and please don't let grandma think that she can convince you to go visit the grandkids because you know what grandmas like to do? They like to hug. That's right. And if you say don't hug, then you're going to be punished. So don't take your grandma to the kid's house when there's a risk. Make sure that you are finding multiple models knowing that one size of coping won't fit all. If you're if you're a laid back dude who likes to listen to music and, and plays the guitar or whatever, and you can put your earphones on, you're going to be a little happy camper. If you're like some people I know are catastrophizers and warriors, oh my God, this is going to happen, then you're going to be miserable and you're going to have to, you have to cope in a different way. The reality is the number of people who are getting sick is still under 5%. Now, that, you don't want to be one of the 5%, but there's still hope that we're not all going to get sick. There's still hope that we're that, that now that the U.S. is mobilizing its science and, and doing cooperative work with, among a lot of institutions, we're going to come up with symptom control and ultimately in the long term, like we did with polio. Most of the people that are listening to this don't know what polio is, let alone how bad it was back then. We had the same reaction back in the 50s. Did you ever see an iron lung? No, never. I worked as an inhalation therapist in the when they um, brought me in for my uh, orientation, this was in 1963, I walked into a room that had oxygen tents, which you had never heard of probably, and iron lungs that was still being stored in the hospital just in case. And that's the way people were kept alive, and you didn't want to do that. So I think that you know we, we, we have you at home, um, outfitted well, set expectations, work on reasonable goals. Some people like, and you're going to know this, this is the stuff you train about. Determine which people need long-term goals for them that they can fill in their blanks and report in and look at the ones that like to have more truncated goals that they can feel like they've done something. Both of them give them control based upon their style. And somebody you and I know loves talking about style. And then make sure that, and this is really dumb, but make sure you understand what local, state, and federal guidelines and regulations are. Uh, Every state has differences with employment law, but in doing that, you're, if you're the boss, if you're the HR person, people are going to turn to you for an answer. If you don't have one, tell them that. Don't make stuff up. Don't listen to what something said on, on CNN last night or Fox. Or Facebook. You, just, just do it. Limit and, and then get back to people. Stay in constant touch. One of the, the neatest things, I'm going to go to my country club again, and, and our, our general manager is doing a wonderful job of updates. And at least every other day and usually daily, we get an update and we're doing curbside delivery from our kitchen to, to give people. Last night was grilled cheese sandwiches and, and tomato bisque and a salad. And they had they served about 40 people last night. Mm-hmm. And it's giving people control, predictability. And instead of fighting to hold on to what used to be, let's talk about figuring out how it's going to be. And what we can do to substantively contribute to the rebuilding of our business worlds, sustaining what we can in our personal worlds, and finding, uh, shoot, unexpected gems mm. because of, of, of this, this crisis. We are the, we as the United States, and I think I'm seeing it in all the countries, what they were doing in Italy where they were all on the balcony thanking the first responders. Get rid of selfishness, folks. Um, it doesn't do you any good to have 50 packages of 
12 rolls of toilet paper right now. Find out if somebody else in the neighborhood needs wipes or Lysol spray, I hate, or Clorox spray. I gotta guess, don't wanna give one brand a plug. See if somebody needs it and offer it. Do something nice and find out you might actually get a lovely response from somebody next door. Our neighborhood, um, people are still outside, and we're all respecting a 10-foot barrier now. Mm -hmm. And the hardest thing for me in all of this is seeing the little kid next door that I adore. I absolutely adore Tom Tom. And if they, <laughs> if the parents will know who that is. And he sees me now, and he used to have stranger danger, and now he likes me. And he sees me, and he gets ready to run, and it's like he's got a dog collar on. He stops, and he goes, can't. <laughs> and it's killing me because I want to hug him. I'm like a granddad. Yeah. So, I think for all of us, it's it's reaching out, it's it's taking a perspective that somehow the news, if you listen to the news, they use all negative crisis-based words to that we have to escape from. Think about that. Everything is the pandemic, which it is. We can't deny reality. But they don't talk about, in many cases, the things we can do that would be positive, which means we go toward them. We escape from bad. We move toward good. We have to start defining that. Sleeping in, cooking some stuff that we've not cooked before, um, staying in touch with friends online, things like that that could be could be positive. Reading a book that I haven't had a chance to read, cleaning my study up, whatever it may be. And I think we, who are the people persons, have a responsibility to start talking about what can we do to use our skills and talents, one, to get us through and not whine about it not being the way it's been, and secondly, how we're going to work together to make it better after this is over, because it will be over. And how do we grieve for the loss of people that we like and care about, because we are going to have that? How do we grieve about some of the loss of our lives before? But you know, when 9-11 when went down, which tore my guts out and still does, I never thought we would return to normalcy. Mm-hmm. And we have, and sometimes we actually, like with the Holocaust, like with polio, like with 9-11, like with a lot of the tragedies, you know, society's memory is pretty short. And there's a lot of kids that weren't born at 9-11. There's a lot of kids that never knew about World War II. There's a lot of kids that never understood all the other bad things that have happened. So to them, it never existed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just got a thing from the Holocaust Museum yesterday. I usually don't respond. And yesterday, I sent them some money. Because we can't forget 9-11. We can't forget our soldiers who, uh, every time I see Wounded Warrior, I want to send them more. Um, and I think we're all now in a battle. This is a war. Somebody made that comment. This is a, a world war. And I always had a dream that there would be an outside source like aliens <laughs> <laughs> that would unify us. Right. And now we have this germ that we can't see, touch, or feel. And... My prayer is, is that people take an attitude to be positive, to not be um, catastrophic, and to use this time for self-reflection and growth. I know that sounds corny. Do what you have to do, but take advantage and, and, and reach out like you have to me and I have to you in the past. What else is more important, Mac? What else? The people we care about, the people that care about us. Yeah. That's it. Well, it sounds like we win this battle 
through science to find the vaccination and cure, but the mind and the heart that's going to heal the rest of the damage. So we can't have one without the other. And I'm really glad you were able to bring that piece to the table, David. Lots of great advice. And that's, I think that's what I needed to hear. I'm hoping if you're listening to this today, you're thinking, yeah, this is great. Here's a guy that is, and we joke about this because I love the title, you know, the man of wisdom. But I mean, this is somebody who's got some brains in his head that is telling you the power of the psychological way to look at this. And um, it's a great way to think about it. David, I'm going to end with this and I want to get your perspective. At some point, this is going to be over with and the NFL will hopefully be going on and we'll be able to go on those vacations we've put on hold. And, and more importantly, we'll be back at the office. How will we fit together again as a cohesive workforce after having, let's say, two, three, four, five months of being apart in this virtual environment? How challenging will it be to go back to what we used to have where we're face to face every day? Let me stick in a, a comment here that I, I wanted to, and that is if we don't take care of ourselves and we stay stressed, we're gonna our autoimmune systems are gonna collapse on us. And we won't be able to fight off this or any other illness that comes on. So the first thing is we got to take care of ourselves so we can take care of others. When we return, we return with reasonable expectations. I think that um, I'm planning to have a party when this is over. Because of that award I got, I, I wanted to thank all the people that had, have helped me have a wonderful life here, just a, absolutely a life of gratitude by, by coming to West Virginia. So when you go back, you set reasonable expectations. The bosses have to be reasonable for people to readapt, get used to being, you know, having to get dressed in the morning, come back to the office and give people a chance to have time to readjust, get to know each other again, share some stories, um, not flaunt successes. If people have had some successes getting through it, because other people may feel negative, but but taking time to get re, to, to get to know each other again, to reestablish goals and see how the hierarchy goes, see who's still left, see who may not be coming back. And um, most of all, is get ready for the next one. Let's not be stupid like we've been in the past about the attack on 9-11, about Pearl Harbor, about the pandemic. Let's be a, a society that is not alarmist, but prepared. And I think that's what we've got to do when we get back to work. Wonderful. Well, David, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with us and something we all needed to hear. And again, congratulations on your award. Well-deserved. Uh, David is just one of my favorite people, and I'm so glad that you could be with us today. My, my absolute pleasure, and I hope I get to see you in person real soon. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the important transition to management. This podcast is just one resource we have. If you check out our website at greatbosstools.com, you can view some other resources we have there. We'd love to have you as part of our courses. If you're listening to this podcast on any podcast app, we'd also appreciate you taking a few moments to give us a review. Positive, of course, it really helps us out. So with that, take care and get out there and make it your goal to be the absolute best boss ever. Mm -hmm.